Hello and welcome on to a special trade deadline review episode of the Isoball podcast. Uh, my name is Derek, uh, your host, uh, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. And today we're going to be learning about uh, a lot of off the court stuff, on the court stuff too, but off the court stuff in the NBA as we're reviewing the trade deadline here. What was supposed to be quite a lukewarm, quiet trade de- trade deadline turn into a myriad of trades where a number of teams, um, contenders and non-contenders, making moves to position themselves for the future. And we're going to go through, I'd say, most of them. Some of them are just kind of minor moves, kind of around the edges we don't necessarily need to touch on, but um, we will mention those. But we're going to do some analysis for some of these bigger ones. And I think the place to start here is with the four-team trade that happened uh, a couple days actually before the day of the deadline, and that was between Houston, Atlanta, Minnesota, and Denver. So I'm going to – it's a big four-team trade, so I'm going to just go by who received what. So in this trade, Houston receives Robert Covington, Jordan Bell, who was then flipped for Bruno Caboclo, a 2024 second-round pick, Uh, So that's from Atlanta via Golden State. Atlanta is getting Clint Capella and Nene. Minnesota is getting Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderbilt, Evan Turner, who who has subsequently looked like he's going to be waived, and a 2020 first-round pick that's from Atlanta but via Brooklyn. So that's Atlanta is giving uh, Minnesota Brooklyn's 2020 first-round pick. And Denver is receiving Shabazz Napier, Jail Green, who was waived, Noah Vonley, Kata Bates-Jopp, and Houston's 2020 first-rounder. So let's go and kind of just say and just talk about the return and what they gave up from each perspective here. So from Houston's perspective, um, you know, getting Covington and uh, Bruno Caboclo and that 2024 second-rounder from Golden State, which eh, could be good, could be not, a little too far out for for us to decipher at this point. But Houston gets their guy, Robert Covington, uh, obviously solid wing defender, a uh, guy that can knock down some three-pointers, uh, more of a um, off, I would say, an off-ball defensive player uh, in terms of being able to get in passing lanes, uh, rotate, uh, make timely rotations, anticipate uh, passes defensively, things of that nature. Not necessarily the on-ball stopper um, that most peg him out to be, in my opinion, but still a very valuable defensive player for Houston. Uh, and they've clearly gone the small ball route, uh, obviously giving away Clint Capella and their first-round pick. Uh, clearly signals that Houston is uh, going all-in on their strategy of going, you know, not like necessarily just small ball, but skilled ball, where every every guy on the court can, you know, pass, shoot, and dribble, uh, five-out strategy. And, you know, uh, I think what's underrated about this is that, you know, Houston was playing fine, um, last year with CP3 and having Capella uh, out there uh, as a big center, you know, blocking shots at the rim, being able to be, you know, a switch defender, baiting teams into switching Capella onto their guards and, you know, Capella being able to stay in front for the most part in most cases. But now because you're playing with Russell Westbrook and obviously Russell Westbrook comes with his own set of uh, strengths and, uh, and great skill set as well, but he's a non-shooter. And you cannot have Clint Capella and Russell Westbrook playing out there, you know, together. Two non-shooters on the court really mucks up the spacing, especially in a system where Houston is looking to get up about as many threes as possible, uh, in essence. And Robert Covington, uh, swapping Covington for Capella really fixes that problem to make, you know, Westbrook the only guy uh, on the court for Houston that can't shoot. So... Uh, in terms of this move for Houston, you know I don't I don't mind it necessarily. I see what they're going for here. I see they're trying to zig where everyone's zagging. Um, I I understand that. I just worry about some of the I worry about some of the potential matchup matchups in the playoffs. The you know the Rudy Gobert's in Utah. The uh, Nikola Jokic in Denver, the Anthony Davis uh, in the against the Lakers, like you know some of these guys. Like, do you really want you know PJ Tucker, you know guarding some of these you know big time centers uh, who really have a size and strength advantage in most cases? I mean, maybe maybe they're just going to bait teams 
into you know posting up uh, PJ Tucker and he's going to be able to do a lot better holding his own uh, against some of these centers. I can see that being a possibility. And Houston just saying, hey, look, you just you play your post up game. You keep trying to shoot those you know those twos, and we know that you're not going to make every post up. But we're going to come back right down the floor and use those same opportunities to shoot threes. And uh, the math is going to work out in our favor. Yeah, that's 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 you know what Houston has been betting on for a long time here, and clearly they've gone um, another step in that direction. So, you know, we'll see. I I I don't necessarily hate this for Houston. I like that they're doubling down on the strategy. I like that they believe in what they're doing over there. Um, and I think uh, I think it's perfectly plausible um, what they're trying to do here. So I don't necessarily mind this for Houston. Not a bad idea, especially to get Robert Covington on a very very good contract uh, over the next couple of years, and they're locked up uh, for his money uh, for the next two or three years, which is a good thing. And uh, in this move, uh, Houston gets out of the luxury tax, which uh, Tillman Fertitta will be jumping for joy uh, in that case, as they're I think five million under the luxury tax, and gives them some room on the buyout market. Should uh, there be some players that come available there that they can grab as well for maybe the minimum or maybe a little bit more than that, we'll see. Um, so going to Atlanta, Atlanta's getting you know Clint Capella and Nene. You know Atlanta gave up. Their uh, Golden State's 2024 second. Uh, they gave up uh, the uh, the Evan Turner contract and a 2020 uh, 2021st rounder, Brooklyn's 2021st rounder, which is going to be you know around 15, 16, something in there. Um, you know I don't necessarily and Gerald Green's contract as well. Um, you know I don't necessarily mind this for Atlanta either, to be honest. I think that if you're if you're thinking about Atlanta with a ton of cap space, you know this summer projected uh, via early bird rights here, that looks like they project for about fifty one uh, million in cap space and ninety three million uh, un under the tax. So they have plenty of room here to maneuver with free agents in twenty twenty. Um, and even more room to maneuver in 2021. So, I mean, when you think about it, the way I look at this is, is if you're Atlanta, are you getting somebody better in terms of the center spot? Because I think it's still kind of up in the air whether John Collins is a four or a five, and we'll talk about the potential fit uh, next to Capella in a second. But if you're looking to upgrade at center, get Trey Young, a real pick-and-roll partner, uh, a defensive anchor at the rim to help shore up this defense a little bit. Are you getting a guy better than Clint Capella uh, for you know his money? He's making you know just under 15 million next year, 16 million in 2021, um, 17 million 2022, 18 million in 2023. And I mean that's a and Capella obviously still very young. And he's cost controlled for the next, uh, you know, four years out, three, three and a half years out here. So, I think I think it's a solid get here for Atlanta. I don't know if they could get somebody better um, with, uh, you know, that space out there on the open market, especially for the money that they got. Um, so I, I like this for Atlanta. I think you know, getting your defensive anchor uh, is really really helpful here, and I think that's going to be a nice step in the right direction, um, not only in the development of. Trey Young, but also giving um, Atlanta a bit of more room to kind of evaluate these guys. Now you've got a little bit more of a strategy where you can funnel uh, players into Capella and have a shop locker at the rim. Now it's a, a time to evaluate how some of these players, you know, can fit defensively around a guy like Clint Capella when you have that shop locker, you know, at the rim. So I think I like this for Atlanta. I do. I think, again, I think the basis here of why I like it is um, who could you have gotten better on a better deal that's going to shore up your defense uh, as good as Clint Capella did. So I like this move for Atlanta overall. Um, going to Minnesota, again, they're getting Malik Beasley, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Jared Vanderbilt, and a 2020 first rounder from, uh, from Brooklyn. Again, solid move here for Minnesota. Like I, like I really like this for every team if we're being serious here. Uh, like they gave up what Shabazz Napier, uh, they gave up, uh, I think it's Kata Bates job. They gave up, uh, I think, did they give up Noah Vonley? I think they gave up Noah Vonley in that deal as well. Um, and, you know, Minnesota was able to go out and get, you know, Malik Beasley, restricted free agent. Wancho Hernan Gomez, I believe, is also, you know, a restricted free agent. And Jared, Jared Vanderbilt still on a rookie deal here. Um, yes, uh, that, that's true for both uh, Wancho and Malik Beasley. So, and they got bird rights on both of those guys as well. So, 
you know, Malik Beasley is a solid, very solid, you know, 2-3, uh, a guy that maybe hasn't gotten enough uh, opportunity there in Denver just because of, you know, some of their depth there. Um, you know, Juancho Hernan Gomez is a guy that has shown some great flashes at times, you know, being able to play on offense there. Jared Vanderbilt, a solid building block, uh, drafted in the second round last year, but Denver really liked him, um, just had a broken foot in his first year and didn't get to play much, and they're getting that Brooklyn 2020 first round pick as well, which is going to be around 14-15. So, you know, nice haul here for Minnesota, really, and, you know, sparking uh, the rebuild here, you know, being able to grab, you know, some solid guys that they're going to have uh, cost controlled and uh, going to be able to make some decisions on in restricted free agency and Beasley and Hernan Gomez, and you still got Jared Vanderbilt there, you know, on the rookie deal that's going to be able to develop, you know, as well. So, Really like this here for Minnesota. Thought they did fantastic in this trade, and uh, you know we're going to talk about another big trade that they made uh, very uh, very soon here. But uh, really like this move here for Minnesota, and we'll see what they get. You know, with that uh, 2020 first round pick uh, at around you know 15, 16, we expect it to be in terms of you know Brooklyn seating. So. We'll take it from there. And lastly, we got Denver here. Uh, so Denver gets, you know, Shabazz Napier, who was then flipped uh, in a trade for Jordan McRae. So we can essentially look at it as Jordan McRae, Jail Green, who was waived, Noah Vonley, uh, Kata Bates Jop, and Houston's 2020 first rounder. So it sounds to me like the the move here from Denver is they didn't want to pay you know Beasley and Hernan Gomez they didn't want to lose them for nothing uh, with the belief that going into this 2020 offseason where there's not a lot of free agents not a lot of guys um, that are you know primed for superstar money that some of these teams you know with cap space maybe would be willing to overpay for a guy like Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez and you know Denver basically said look we see that there that potential is out there and we don't necessarily want to be the team that is stuck with them and have this big bill on our hands and not be able to match uh, their salary going into restricted free agency. So they got rid of him. They were able to get a Houston first round pick, you know, a guy still on his rookie deal and Kata Bates job um, and Noah Vonley as well, who can, uh, you know, uh, fill some minutes there uh, at the four or five. So, you know, not, not bad here from Denver either. Again, the Denver's making kind of a bet that the Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez uh, are going to, you know, get a ton of money uh, this offseason, and they ne weren't necessarily willing to match any offer they were going to get in restricted free agency. And they say, okay, uh, if that's going to be the case, let's get rid of these guys. Let's flip them for a first rounder. Let's go ahead and uh, and grab another nice rookie there in Kata Bates' job and develop him uh, cost-controlled as well and uh, and just kind of keep moving forward. So, you know, not a bad move from Denver uh, either. Um, I, I see what they were thinking there. I get their logic. Uh, and if that's what they believe that, you know, uh, Malik Beasley and Juancho Hernan Gomez were going to get, you know, these big massive uh, offer sheets in restricted free agency and they knew they weren't going to go and match well might as well go ahead and get someone for them and they did uh, a great job in getting a first round pick uh, and a nice rookie uh, in Kata Bates job as well to uh, to supplement that so uh, nice that nice uh, move there from Denver so uh, overall I liked what all four of these teams did uh, Houston, Atlanta, Minnesota, Denver, you know, excellent job for every one of these front offices, recognizing their needs and uh, being able to work together to uh, bring on, you know, this 14, um, 12 player trade, which is, you know, the most in 20 years or something like that. So excellent job from all four of these front offices. I get exactly what they're, we're trying to do uh, from their perspectives and uh, hopefully it works out well for all four of them. All right, here we go. The trade of the trade deadline to me is the trade between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors. So the Timberwolves here are getting D'Angelo Russell, Omari Spellman, and Jacob Evans. And this, the Golden State Warriors are getting Andrew Wiggins, a 2021 first-round pick, which is top three protected in 2021 and becomes unprotected in 2022. And they're also getting a 2021 second-round pick as well. So this is a massive trade. So I uh, I went back and forth on this. I really you know tried to uh, you know dig deep into both uh, perspectives uh, from this team, and you know I came to the conclusion basically that it's going to take some time for us to understand uh, who won and lost this trade per se. Like I don't necessarily have a clear answer right now. Like right now, without knowing you know what that 2021 first rounder ends up being. Um, and you know how Wiggins fits and all this sort of stuff. 
I'm going to lean slightly towards me liking it more for the Timberwolves than I do the Warriors, but I can see a scenario in which the Warriors benefit, you know, like really well uh, from this trade. So let's look at it from the Timberwolves perspective. Like the first thing, the first thing we talk about here, you know, from the Timberwolves perspective is the fact that you got off the Andrew Wiggins contract. That is, you know, a pretty big, a pretty big W for the organization. Obviously, uh, you know, Andrew Wiggins getting paid $27.5 million this year, $29.5 uh, in 2021, $31.5 in 2022, and $33.6 in 2023. So he's locked in for the next four years at, you know, big-time money uh, and obviously hasn't played up to that contract or even, or even really close to it, to be fair. So the fact that the Timberwolves were able to get off that money with only having to attach one first-round pick in uh, uh, in 2021 is pretty good value. I mean, when you get when you get to the idea that you know Wiggins is making this much money and he's owed so much over the years and you know taking up such a percentage of your cap, you know he's probably worth you know two first-round picks to get off a contract of that size. And uh, the Timberwolves were able to get off it in just one. Um, while also being able to pick up D'Angelo Russell, you know, the, uh, a guy, a point guard of the future here in the process. Um, so let's go from the Timberwolves' perspective. So they get off the Wiggins deal for just one first-round pick. To me, that's a W. Um, the Russell fit with the T-Wolves, how good can they be offensively and defensively? So, you know, on offense, I think they're going to be just fantastic. Like, you can really see a scenario where... You know, you've got, you know, Malik Beasley on the wings and you've got, um, let's, let's go through their roster here. So many players have changed now. Um, you got, you know, James Johnson, Jared Culver, uh, Josh Akogi, uh, some of these guys on the wing here. And, you know, obviously they're going to have some space um, next summer to be able to sign, or th this summer, I should say, to be able to sign some guys as well. So they'll have a little bit of space to go and, and grab some guys. Again, $43 million under the tax projected for 2021 uh, or 2020, 2021. So they will have some room to sign some guys as well. But you can picture, you know, uh, them going out, getting some shooting, filling uh, those spots around, you know, Carl uh, Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, and just pick and rolling them to death. Where you you force the you force the switch uh, on uh, with the guard onto Towns, and he goes to work beasting in the post. That could be a very uh, effective on offense as well. You know, pick and pop with Towns is also a fantastic option. You know, Russell himself can really shoot and take guys you know off the dribble. Not necessarily the best at attacking switches is D'Angelo Russell, but the you've got a guy who can do so in Carl Anthony Towns. So you already have um, that need filled. I can see that working very well. Now, defensively is the question here. So the problem here for Minnesota and why I lean a little bit, you know, in not necessarily love it for them is you're going to have to fill out defensive players around Towns and Russell, um, not only defensive players, but defensive players that can shoot. And those guys in the NBA are a premium. You pay a premium for defensive players that can make threes. That's just the way the league is. Defensive wings that can make threes are incredibly valuable. And I don't know necessarily how many of those guys there are on the market for them to be able to get. So that's going to be a bit of a problem for the for the Minnesota Timberwolves is I'm not sure who uh, who what defensive wings that you know make threes these three and D wings that are so valuable in the league that you're actually going to go and get uh, to be able to supplement some of the defensive issues around Towns and Russell um, you know maybe they come together and decide okay we're like you know we're playing together we know we're good on offense we need to pick up the effort you know defensively maybe that that happens that's certainly possible but. Right now, the, the the issues defensively are very clear, and uh, the ability to plug those holes on defense with 3 and D wings um, is questionable at this point, and I'm not sure where those are going to come from uh, in this you know pretty sparse free agent class unless they make you know another, another trade or something like that. So that's what worries me here, you know, for Minnesota. Uh, and that kind of leads into my next question: is okay, so where does that 2021 pick end up? I'm not sure that this is going to be like a like a good lottery pick, like a number five or anything. Like I don't think the Timberwolves will be that bad. But can I see this being, you know, anywhere from like, you know, 11 to 14? Yeah, for sure. I can definitely see this being a late lottery pick um, for 
uh, the Golden State Warriors that they're picking up here. And, you know, 2021, some people are saying, is a better draft than this year. Um, I don't know. I haven't done any research on 2021 prospects. I, you know, I know of, um, you know, maybe like Dior Johnson is probably like the only guy that I know, but like, I don't even want to speculate because I just have no idea about any of the prospects two years out. I haven't gone that deep yet. Josh Christopher, maybe, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, where that pick will end up is interesting. Who they get with that pick is also going to determine, you know, what kind of, uh, where we look at this deal in hindsight, which is why I said at the beginning, we're going to need to wait a couple of years before we really can look at this deal in a full lens, in my opinion. Um, but I, yeah, in terms of where that pick will end up, I think it's going to be, you know, somewhere between 11 and 14. That's, uh, uh, that's my that's my guess. And here's the other thing too. I think that's underrated is um, the I think one of the reasons that um, they had only costed one first round pick to get off of Wiggins is because the T Wolves leveraged how much the Warriors needed to get out of the luxury tax and more importantly the repeater tax. So just so you, just so you know, the luxury tax basically um, is a basic tax that teams have to pay when they go over a certain, you know, number in the salary cap. I th- I'm not sure what that tax number is this year. I think it's like 132-ish million, something like that. So as soon as you go over that number, you start paying luxury tax. And, you know, what does that luxury tax cost? Well, I'll tell you right now. So if you're if you're over the tax by $5 million or less, you pay $1.50 uh, for every excess dollar of salary that goes over uh, the tax threshold. So if you're between $5 million and $10 million, you pay $1.75 $1. per excess dollar over the tax. Between $10 and $15, you're at $250. Between $15 and $19, you're at $325. And if you're, over 20, if you're $20 million over the tax... You pay $3.75 per excess dollar of salary plus another $0.50 per $5 million over $20 million. You can see how that gets expensive. Now, in the repeater tax, you're a dollar higher. So what a repeater tax is essentially is if you're in the luxury – if your team ends the year in the luxury tax four out of the last five years, you essentially are a repeater tax offender. And what that basically – what that does basically is increases your luxury tax bill even higher. So we talked about a dollar fifty for every five million or less in the luxury in the luxury tax. In the repeater tax, it's two fifty, right? And then it's two seventy five, and then three fifty, and then four twenty five, and then four seventy five. So basically, add a dollar in the repeater tax to each level, you know, of luxury tax payment that, uh, depending on where you fall and how much money you are, um, over, uh, over the tax, whether it be, you know, 5 million, 10 million, 15 to 20 over 20, you get the point, but that can get very expensive for owners, like, especially for a team in this Warriors team that isn't going to be doing any winning this year. And now I know, you know, Clay and Steph and them are coming back, but you want to be able to get out of that, out of that tax, um, uh, get out of that tax bracket, that repeater tax bracket, so that next year you can afford to go into the tax and not have to pay the repeater tax charges and just pay reg- regular luxury tax charges. So, the t- long story short, the T wills basically leverage how much the Warriors needed to get out of the repeater tax, and that's I think part of the reason why they only had to give up one first round pick. And again, you remember they got D'Angelo Russell, right? Um, D'Angelo Russell this year is making 27 and, uh, Wiggins is making 20, uh, what is it? Yeah. 27, five. So they make about the same, but they also added Amari Spellman and Jacob Evans onto that as well. So they were able, uh, they were able to shed, you know, some salary in that trade and they made some, uh, some other trades as well that we'll talk about that they, um, that they used to get out as well. So, you know, before this whole um, deadline started, they were about $5 million over the tax that they needed to get out of that uh, immediately. So, you know, they shedded about $2 million, $2.5 million in tax, you know, in this trade. And that was good on the T-Wolves to leverage how much the Warriors need to get out of that luxury tax to be able uh, to make this deal as well. So, I, I kind of like this for the Timberwolves. You know, we talked about, you know, the scarcity of 3 and D wings, and, you know, that kind of concerns me where they're going to find those. But 
Um, I slightly lean towards I like it for the Timberwolves until further notice. Now for the Warriors, you know, Andrew Wiggins, that 2021 top three protected pick uh, and unprotected in 2022 and that 2021 second. So they do get out of the repeater tax as I talk, as I talked about. I find what I find interesting about this trade as well is that the Warriors are betting that Russell, you know, does not make the Timberwolves that much better. But they're saying that despite giving up a first round pick in last offseason, you know, to get him in the first place. So they spent a first round pick to get Russell and then they're going to go and trade him for a first round pick to basically say, oh, we don't think you're going to be that good. So I think so I think that that's kind of funny, in my opinion. Um and I think for the Warriors, uh, the, basically this this kind of depends on uh, obviously where that pick lands and who they get with it. But how good can Andrew Wiggins be? Like this is the this is the big question: is how good can Andrew Wiggins be for the Golden State Warriors? You know, can he? I've heard the term a better Harrison Barnes thrown around. Okay, but that's an expensive ass Harrison Barnes, man. That's an expensive ass better Harrison Barnes when you're getting 27, 29, 31, 33 over the next four years. Um. You know, that's that handicaps them, you know, pretty severely, in my opinion. So I don't know how much better I can see Wiggins, you know, being in this system. Uh, you know, you know, just a little scattering report on Andrew Wiggins. You know, he's got, you know, some ball handling skills. He can take some nice pull-ups. He's got a nice post game. Um, but his problems really come, you know, he, he's not a great defensive player on or off the ball. He's got a very low motor you know, catch and shoot threes. He does okay from the corners, but he's not good at any pull up threes uh, off the dribble or anything like that. Um, to me, you know, he's got to become a better player uh, in terms of getting to the line uh, and free throw shooting as well. So, you know, for a guy making this much, you would like to see his skills improve on that end. But maybe the Warriors just basically are saying, you know what, Andrew, just be as good as you can be. Like, we know that your contract is not that good. We know all of that. But, look, we got that first uh, that first round pick, you know, top three protected in 2021, unprotected in 2022. We're just going to use that pick as the main treasure here and just be the best you can be in our system. You know, be around championship players and see how good he can get. You know, maybe he does improve, you know, quite a bit of what he could, what he could be, but I just don't know. I don't know uh, if Wiggins can, can be anything much better than he was in Minnesota. I just, I don't know. And that's why I'm leaning more towards liking it for the Wolves and the Warriors is I just I don't have faith in Andrew Wiggins at this point. I just don't. Maybe a new system will help him. Maybe a new role within the, the Warriors uh, system will help him. But truthfully, I just don't know exactly how good Andrew Wiggins you know can be. Um, my next question is 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 this the best return they could have got for D'Angelo Russell, the Warriors? Um, obviously, we'll have no way of knowing. We'll have no way of knowing you know who bid and what they offered and all that stuff, but. Just have a hard time that this is all they could get D. Russ for is a bad contract and Andrew Wiggins and one first rounder, and getting out of the tax. Um, maybe and and maybe this is it. Maybe getting out of the luxury tax was so or the repeater tax was so important for this Warriors organization that maybe this isn't the best they could have got for D'Angelo Russell. But being able to shed that extra two million in this trade um, was what they needed. Was what they needed necessary. So um, I doubt that that's the case. To be honest, I really do. Um, but I do question if this was the best uh, they could have gotten for D'Angelo Russell. So overall, Timberwolves. I lean a little bit towards liking it for them more than I do the Warriors. But I don't know yet because I need to see what this pick ends up being. I need to see the Andrew Wiggins fit. Uh, obviously, I need to see the Russell fit. And uh, we got to go from there. So we'll have to revisit this maybe in a couple of years, a year or so, I should say, and uh, and go from there because I'm not necessarily sold uh, on on it for either teams until I see more. <clears throat> Holy crap! We're 30 minutes in and we've covered like two trades. Like this is insane. Okay, the Pistons will receive Brandon Knight and John Henson and a second round pick for Andre Drummond. And the second round pick is the lesser of Golden State and Cleveland's 2023 second rounder. This is just insane to me, man. Like that, like how low was Drummond's value to get Brandon Knight, John Henson, and like the worst second rounder of Golden State and Cleveland. Like that's all they could get for Andre Drummond. That's it. Like that is ludicrous to me, man. And 
like for me, I guess like from the Pistons perspective, I guess this is all they could get. Like I, I'm so baffled that they couldn't get more than this for Andre Drummond. That is just, you know, really surprising to me. But I guess if this is all they could get and this truly was the best offer, then I applaud them at least for picking a direction and saying, we're not even going to, we're not even going to like, we're not even going to risk you picking up that player option and taking up 27 or whatever million on our books for next year. We're not even going to do that. We are not going to do that whatsoever. We're not going to risk that at all. Um, and so we're going to ship you out to Cleveland for, you know, next to nothing. And uh, we're not even going to have, uh, we're not even going to entertain the possibility of you picking up that 28 million player option. And so I guess I applaud them for that. They did definitely pick a direction, although I'd like to think they could get more for that uh, for Andre Drummond, but I guess not. And for Cleveland, like I love this. I love this for Cleveland. Like, why would you not like this for Cleveland? Like let's, let's get, let's run our two, two assumptions here. Okay. He doesn't pick up the player option uh, and, you know, goes into 2020 free agency is looking to get, you know, a big deal. Okay. So you don't have to pay him anyway. And all you gave up was a second rounder. Like you gave up a second rounder for the chair for the opportunity, you know, to bring in Andre Drummond into your system and possibly, uh, you know, have him develop some of the young guards or whatever. And then if he does pick up his player option in twenty eight of uh, twenty eight million next year, well then guess what? You've got Andre Drummond um, for next year. Like you still, they're still projected uh, from early bird rights here to have. $30.5 million in tax room in 2020, 2021. So, like, you're not sacrificing any ridiculous space here. It's not like you're, you know, sacrificing, you know, some crazy opportunity to get a massive free agent or anything. You still got cap space to be able to take on some bad deals and, uh, you know, bring in first-round picks if you're Cleveland. Like, why not give them a center to, you know, uh, play pick and roll with and, you know, throw it into the post for and, you know, really learn to play with a big-time player like Andre Drummond, if you're, you know, um, Darius Garland, uh, Colin Sexton, Kevin Porter Jr., like, why not give them, you know, a, a good center to be able to play with and, you know, kind of develop? I I like this for Cleveland. Like, I really don't see the big downside here um, in terms of being able to, you know, bring in Andre Drummond, like, for, you know, one year in the worst-case scenario is he picks up that player option of $28 million and you barely sacrifice any space. Like, um now I, I, this is why I will tell you that's an expensive ass front court. Like you're gonna you have Love at 31 million, Andre Drummond at 28 million, Tristan Thompson at 18 million, Larry Nance at 12 million. Like that's expensive as hell. And there's no guard on the team making more than 10 million dollars, which is kind of crazy. Um, so I get that. But you know Cleveland's rebuilding. They don't have anything to play for this year. They probably won't even have anything to play for next year. So. And then in 2021, when all when all the free agents come off the books, you have tons of money to be able to go out and do whatever the hell you want. And you'll have bird rights on Andre Drummond in 2021 if you really, really, really want to bring him back, which they probably don't. But um, even if they do, they have bird rights on him, so they can go over the cap to pay him as well. So I, I, bottom line, I like this for Cleveland. Uh, I see very little downside risk for them, and I thought that that was great to get him at that price. All right, moving forward. Memphis trades Jay Crowder, Solomon Hill, and Andre Godala to Miami for Justice Winslow, Dion Waiters, and James Johnson. Let's start off from Miami's perspective. Miami undoubtedly won this trade, okay? Miami basically traded James Johnson. Uh, first of all, they traded Dion Waiters, okay? So who is... Obvi- quite obviously a bad deal, a guy that was, you know, uh, causing a lot of, uh, you know, we'll say tension, you know, in the locker room, you know, with some of his, you know, his antics, he was suspended, you know, for eating gummies on the plane uh, and all and all this sort of stuff. So he clearly was a bit of an issue in that Miami Heat locker room. There's no doubt about that. And he is basically, he's a liability contract. Like, um, and I believe they just, yeah, they actually just waived him. So he was due, you know, uh, two years, about $24 million, and they've wait and they waived, and I believe he, they stretched his last year as well. And again, stretching a contract is when you don't want a player on your team anymore, you can basically release him and uh, what's called a wave and stretch. So basically the stretch is when you stretch a player's salary uh, over uh, a number of years after the contract. So The way you do this is if you want to stretch a player, you have to add two years onto 
uh, his salary plus, or sorry, onto his contract plus one. So if the guy has one year left on his deal, you have to multiply it by two and add a year. So if the guy has one year left on his deal, that means you're going to stretch his money over three years. So if you have 12 million left on your deal, that's, um, that's 4 million per year over the three years. Okay. So they're going to pay, they're going to pay, um, Dion Waiters $4 million for the next three years on their cap with a wave and stretch, which I believe that they're doing on, unless I uh, hear otherwise. So, but bottom line, that was a negative value contract big time. And you would have had to attach assets to get off of that deal. Um, you know, James Johnson, another player who, uh, you know, has shown some stuff at times, but, you know, just obviously was not in the rotation here for, um, for the Memphis Grizzlies and you know to be able to get off him was was nice because uh, now you open up some cap space for 2021 I'm just trying to look at you know James Johnson he's got you know 15 million this year and a pl- and a player option for 16 million next year which he's most certainly going to pick up so you get off that deal as well and so you get off those two contracts in um, Dion Waiters and James Johnson, and the asset you had to give up was Justice Winslow, who has been you know injury plagued throughout his career, who's a very nice player, uh, and uh, he's he can definitely contribute uh, for Memphis, but you know he's not in your rotation. You're looking to win now, and that's awesome. And it, it, even still, you now you're getting Jay Crowder, a nice three, a nice three and D wing. You're getting Solomon Hill, who may not play, just given the uh, crazy depth of this Miami team. And obviously Andre Iguodala, you know, a couple-time All-Star, proven champion, Finals MVP. Now he's not the player he once was. He obviously has aged a little bit, um, but still a guy that contribute can contribute in, in your rotation. Not asking him to do too much, um, and and you're gonna and you're gonna pick him up uh, and trade two bad assets, and the asset you're giving up is just is, is Justice Winslow. So, um, and you're clearing you know a crazy amount of space here. Um, for the Miami Heat, let me just check real bird rights in the in the cap sheets here because you know Miami Heat from a cap situation now uh, are are doing are doing fantastic work. So they have they're uh, just like a million dollars over the tax, which is fine. This is a contending team. You might be able to pay the tax for this team, and they still can get rid of you know Casey Okpala or Chris Silva uh, and be able to get under the tax as well. And then for next year. They got 56 million projected 56 million in space to be able to sign a big time, you know, free agent in 2021 as well. So they've maximized their 2021 space. They've got uh, Andre Iguodala, uh, who also I should mention signed a two-year, uh, 30 million dollar contract with a team option of 15 million uh, in year two. So you've cost controlled now Andre Iguodala. And you've got an asset in Jay Crowder who can play in your rotation as well on uh, what is, you know, a very manageable contract at, you know, under $8 million. So Miami just did fantastic in this deal. And on the other side, for Memphis, they've done so many good things. They've done so many good things from drafting Brandon Clark to uh, making the Connolly trade and getting assets out of that. They made a, they made a trade that really benefited them uh, with the Phoenix Suns. And they've just done so many really, really good things. And this one is just such a head-scratcher for me because I don't understand, like, why they would give up Andre Godala for so little. To be to have to take to have to take on Dion Waiters, to have to take on James Johnson, who uh, I believe they then flipped, if I'm not mistaken, for for Gordney Jang. Um, let me again double check that because I don't want to get that wrong. But I believe they they then flipped him for Gordney Jang, and I want to check uh, uh, Jang's salary as well just to be safe here. So I actually don't see Jang on the sheet, which is weird. Oh yeah, there he is. Yeah, Gordney Jang, who's got 16 million this year and 17 million next year. So basically, trading um, bad contract for bad contract. So you eventually got you've essentially got Gordney Jang and a stretched Dion Waiters. So almost like 30 million in bad and bad money that uh, that's going to uh, you know be on your books for the next couple of years. And the asset you got in return is Justice Winslow. Now I like Justice Winslow. I think he's a fantastic player. Now he's making thirteen uh, million uh, this year, next year, and he's and he's got a team option for thirteen uh, in twenty twenty two as well. So 
you know, I like Justice Winslow. I think he's a fantastic player. He's a, he's a Swiss Army knife. He's, he can defend. He can put the ball in his hands. He's played some point guard, actually, for the Miami Heat in the past. His shot has improved uh, drastically. But he's been injury-prone throughout his career. And you've got a you've got a guy in John Morant that you're looking to develop. So the fit next to John Morant necessarily isn't that great unless you're going to play Winslow on the second unit. So I, you know, while I do like Justice Winslow, I think that you gave up, you know, between Andre Iguodala and taking up taking thirty on thirty million dollars of bad money, and without getting a pick in return either, you're giving up Jay Crowder. You know, you're giving up Andre Iguodala. And you're taking on, you know, $30 million in bad money, you know, for Justice Winslow. It just seems a little expensive for my taste. It just seems like they, they, uh, they valued Justice Winslow a little too highly for my liking here. And uh, I'm not necessarily a, a massive fan of that deal for Memphis, but I love it. Uh, for the Miami Heat. So one of the rare mistakes, in my opinion, of Memphis, who's been doing a fantastic job in this rebuild, but I think they might have made a little bit of a mistake here, in my opinion. Okay, getting to some more, uh, actually, no, we got one more big one here. So we got a three-way deal here between the Clippers, the Knicks, and the Wizards. Um, so Marcus Morris uh, from the Knicks is going to be going to the Clippers, and Isaiah Thomas uh, from the Wizards is going to the Clippers as well. Isaiah Thomas was actually waived um, from them as well. And so the Washington Wizards are going to get Jerome Robinson, uh, Mo Harkless, uh, sorry, the Wizards are getting Jerome Robinson, and that's it. And then the Knicks are getting Mo Harkless and a 2020 first-round pick from the Knicks uh, with some swap rights that are really unlikely to to happen and uh, the rights to an overseas guy, uh, Isuf Sanon, uh, a guy I've never heard of as well. So, you know, Clippers go out. Uh, they upgrade from Mo Harkless uh, to Marcus Morris, a good upgrade in my opinion, Mar- uh, Marcus Morris. Uh you know, maybe a little bit of a slight ground, uh, downgrade overall defensively, but again, a guy that, um, you know, you can throw on LeBron James uh, at, uh, at times, which is going to be helpful for them as uh, uh, as well as some other, you know, bigger fours. Um, he, he's a big, sturdy guy. He can definitely defend those. He can he can shoot some threes. He's got a bit of an offensive game, a little game off the dribble as well. Uh, better offensive four than Mo Harkless, no doubt. The Wizards with a little nice piece of business here for the Wizards where they send out Isaiah Thomas and get back, uh, you know, Jerome Robinson. Obviously, Isaiah Thomas, not the player uh, or even close to the player he once was in Boston. And then they're able to pick up uh, a cost-controlled Jerome Robinson still on a rookie deal who they can evaluate and, from what I understand, liked in the draft as well. So nice piece of work for the Wizards here. And a nice piece of work here for the Knicks as well uh, to be able to get a guy, you know, like Mo Harkless, um, you know, not necessarily going to move the needle for the Knicks this year. But that 2020 first round pick um, from the Clippers will be a nice piece in their war chest as they, I think, have seven first round picks over the next four drafts, which is uh, great here for the Knicks. So like this for all three teams, I think all three teams did good in this piece of business here. Uh, But obviously the big uh, news here is the Clippers adding another piece for their stretch run uh, and playoff run here in Marcus Morris. Okay, a uh, couple more minor ones here. Uh, Dwayne Dedman, uh, twenty. Uh, Dwayne Sacramento traded Dwayne Dedman, uh, a twenty twenty and a twenty twenty one second rounder uh, to Atlanta for Jabari Parker and Alex Len. <clears throat> Dwayne Dedman headed back to Atlanta, uh, and Atlanta picking up also a couple of um, uh, second round picks in that deal as well. Sacramento signed. Trevor Ariza and Dwayne Dedman in the offseason and traded them less than six months later, which is, you know, uh, not that great in my opinion. Uh, uh, although I, I applaud them for not being stubborn about their signings and willing to let them go uh, when they felt it was necessary. But again, that doesn't really speak to how good uh, those signings are as well. You know, and they're picking up Jabari Parker and, uh, and Alex Len too. You know, minor moves at this point. None of those guys really moving the needle for Sacramento in my opinion. Uh, the Golden State Warriors trading Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks to the Sixers, and they're getting three second-round picks. So that's the uh, 2020 second-rounder that's coming uh, from Dallas, a 2021 second-round pick 
uh, from Denver and a 2022 second round pick from Toronto. All three of those teams, um, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily, uh, in a position to be bad at the times those picks are coming through. So three really poor second round picks, but again, getting off, uh, another couple minimums in Robinson and Alec Burks helps the Warriors get under that repeater tax. So that's basically what they were trying to do there and picking up three seconds, uh, to do so is, you know, not necessarily bad. Although Glenn Robinson was, you know, a contributor this year, I think he he's been okay, um, uh, showing the ability to be passable defensively, uh, and obviously hit that three as well. So uh, not uh, not bad pickup here for the Sixers. Obviously they need more shooting, and hopefully Burks and Robinson can give them that, and uh, the Warriors get out of that repeater tax and pick up some second round picks in the process. So let's go down. That's pretty much all the trades. Let's go down, you know, the list a little bit here. Uh, Dylan Brooks uh, re-signing a th- uh, three-year, thirty-five million extension with Memphis. Uh, good team-friendly deal here for Memphis. Dylan Brooks uh, having a bit of a breakout year, uh, really showing to be a, a very nice uh, contributor on offense for them uh, and their future going forward. I talked about uh, the Wizards uh, trading Jordan McRae to the Nuggets for Shabazz Napier. Uh, Portland traded uh, Scal, LeBCA, uh, and Cash to Atlanta, trying to get off Scal, LeBCA, in an effort to get under the tax there for Portland. Um, the Sixers uh, trading James Ennis to the Magic for a second-round pick. That's the Lakers' 2020 second-round pick. So basically, dumping James Ennis, you know, for a second to the Magic. They've got a bit of a log jam at the two-three there uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, the Clippers uh, trading Derek Walton Jr. and Cash uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, so again, just kind of dumping uh, you know Derek Walton onto Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta obviously with these two dumps are the only team that has uh, cap space to be able to do some stuff like this. Um, I talked about the Gordon Jang uh, for James Johnson swap between Minnesota uh, and Memphis. And I uh, talked about uh, as well Jordan Bell um, is going to Memphis uh, for Bruno Caboclo. Uh, and Memphis has the right to swap the least favorable of Dallas and Miami's second uh, round picks in 2023 for Houston's 2023 second as well, as long as Houston's pick is not 31 or 32. Okay, that is all I've got for trades today. We're going a little long here. So, um, you know, game, game of the week, uh, I did watch uh, the – the Toronto versus um, uh, Indiana game. There was a couple back-to-back. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go through the whole thing. I didn't get a chance to re-watch the game after, you know, I had uh, previously watched it. Um, you know, I think it was uh, on Friday there. Uh, so I did not get to wa- re-watch the game. I usually like to go into a little bit more depth um, before I give you guys you know, some detail, but I didn't get a chance to do that. But in both, in both matchups, Toronto really, uh, you know, dominating the game. Um, they've really shown, especially defensively, uh, to be able to, you know, basically be a Swiss army knife. And, you know, you want, they can play the drop coverage. They'll play zone. They'll play box and one. They'll play, you know, hedge and recover. They'll blitz pick and rolls. They'll do, you know, whatever they can, whatever the net is necessary on that night. And, uh, uh, basically, on uh, on this night, they kind of switched it up and did went all over the place. So the you know Pascal Siakam definitely struggled, six of twenty. Uh, but Serge Ibaka was big, twenty two and ten, uh, three uh, three of five from three. Fred VanVleet twenty points of his own, uh, go along with seven assists. Kyle Lowry, 16-11, and 11, was big in this game as well. And another big game from Rising Stars snub, in my opinion, Terrence Davis with 17 points, 8 rebounds. He was 3 of 6 from 3-7-11, and uh, this, he's, um, he's really proving to be able to step up for the Toronto Raptors and uh, give them some very solid minutes and really making a case to be in that playoff rotation uh, for the Raptors when the, when it kind of bogs down to about seven or eight guys. And he's uh, really making a case for that as well, especially with Powell out. So um, obviously big win here for Toronto. They've won uh, with the Brooklyn win last night. They've won 14 straight games, um, which is just, you know, really impressive. Like, Really, really great stuff for the Toronto Raptors. And um, I believe their next game, if I'm not mistaken, is against Minnesota uh, on Monday. And so they should be able to keep that going. Um, just trying to look at their schedule going forward to see how many wins they could really rack up here. They got Brooklyn again uh, after that. Um, and then is, is the All-Star break. So 
you know, a couple, uh, you know, a couple wins here before the All Star break yeah, could possibly go to sixteen and zero uh, going into the break here for the Raptors, and that would just be absolutely fantastic as they've really got a stranglehold now on that second um, spot in the East, uh, and you know, looking like a pretty good, a pretty good ass team for losing Kawhi Leonard. So. Oh, breaking news here! As I'm refreshing the uh, refreshing the feed, um, Darren Collison has decided that he will not return to the NBA this season and plans to stay retired. The Lakers and Clippers had been courting him, but Collison informed teams that he isn't. Uh, it, the timing isn't right for him to return right now. So obviously, uh, big news here, especially for the Lakers as they were looking to get him. Uh, um, they were looking to get him 100% to uh, get them some competent point guard play. Um, they, they really were, Rondo really wasn't cutting it for them uh, in those units, which is uh, which is kind of tough. Um, uh, oh, also there's a couple buyouts I forgot. So Marvin Williams got bought out by Charlotte. He's joining uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, and I believe also Michael Carter. Uh, sorry, not Michael Carter Williams. Michael K- Michael Kidd Gilchrist also bought out by the Charlotte Hornets, and I believe he's going to join the Dallas Mavericks uh, as well. So a couple couple additions there. Glad I refreshed Twitter to see that Darren Collison news because that's pretty big. Um, and yeah, so that'll that'll pretty much do it. Uh, okay, so what I learned this week. So. I, did, I didn't necessarily learn this this week, but this is more of an educational piece. So I see I'm, I'm running around on Twitter and especially during the deadline, you're seeing people throw out trade ideas that are, you know, completely, you know, out there and just really like not even close to being, uh, you know, feasible. So what you, what you have to understand, again, this is not what I learned because I already knew this, but what you have to understand is, you know, not only does the team, does the trade have to work for both teams, like both teams actually have to, you know, benefit from the trade, but also the salaries have to match guys. Like you can't just go out and say, oh, uh, I'm going to trade, uh, you know, Chris Paul for, you know, Rondo, Kuzma and uh, Avery Bradley and and a first round pick and get him on, get them on the Lakers. It doesn't work like that. Like you know, Rondo's at the minimum. Uh, Kuzma's making like basically the minimum on a rookie deal, and Avery Bradley's not making like ten million, and CP3 is making like thirty-eight million. You have to get within seventy-five percent of the matching salary for the trade to actually work, uh, or else the trade is just simply not allowed to happen. Um, so that has to that has to be taken into account. Uh, also, like the Stepien rule, you cannot trade your first-round pick in back-to-back years. So if you've already traded your first round pick for 2020, you can't trade your 2021 first rounder. Um, and if it's protected, you know, uh, in 2020 and rolls over to 2021, then you can't trade your 2022 first round pick. Like these things have to be taken into account, and uh, really, uh, and, and really need and really need to be uh, you know considered when you're coming up with some of these trade ideas. So again, not necessarily something I learned this week, but something to keep in mind going forward in the off season. And in future trade deadlines, salaries got to match, you know, make sure, check the rules about picks and things of that nature, because uh, that's going to matter as well. And, uh, and yeah, hopefully this uh, will help you in putting together some trades when you're thinking about that stuff. So, all right, that was a long one. Thanks for sticking with me uh, through all the, uh, the financial talk and uh, covering what uh, needed, what was a pretty big trade deadline uh, in, in the event that I thought it was going to be, you know, quite lukewarm. But uh, I appreciate you sticking with me and analyzing all these trades. And, uh, yeah, you can find uh, Isoball Podcasts, uh, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll be that back uh Next week, I think. Um, actually, let's let's take a look here because we've got the All Star break coming up. Um, so maybe we'll do one. Actually, well, maybe what I'll do is on Sunday we'll do a um, we'll do a Saturday night um, you know recap like the three point contest, the dunk contest, uh, and just kind of what I think about that as well. And then we're into a little break here uh, up until. Thursday, February twentieth, um, with the last set of games before the All-Star break happening on February 13th. So we're looking at a little bit of a All-Star break here before we jump back into it. But uh, yeah, you can expect it uh, to keep going uh, no matter. So thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll talk soon. See you later, Isoball Pod family.